I had forgotten to mention to Ron, but Nicole is not with us tonight because she's having some stomach trouble that she hadn't had in a while, and we thought maybe we had that taken care of, and kind of came back and and presented itself again. So she's feeling a little better when when I left to go get the girls, but uh, keep her in your prayers if you would. And of course, Wayman's having a terrible time with his hip, and uh, let's remember him, keep him, keep him in our prayers. Uh, we're talking about Calvinism, and we got to the point last time of the second uh, foundational uh, uh, doctrine of that uh, particular belief system, and uh, we're talking about uh, predestination. Predestination. Um, now, we mentioned last time uh, that, of course, within the uh, the tulip. Uh, of predest or of Calvinism, predestination falls under this unconditional election. Now, what that means is, and we're going to talk a little bit about predestination, is that God has chosen everyone who uh, has ever lived or ever will live before the foundation of the world, before time began, to be either saved or lost. And so that's what the idea of predestination or unconditional election entails. Now, if we if we look in the dictionary and uh, try to determine what predestination means, it means the doctrine that God, in consequence of His foreknowledge of all events, infallibly guides those who are destined for salvation. Now, <clears throat> I think a lot of the time as members of the Lord's church, when we hear the words uh, uh, election, the elect, or predestination, we kind of shy away from that a little bit. We shy away from it a little bit because uh, the denominations of the world have kind of hijacked those words a little bit. And they have uh, made them to mean something that is not a scriptural meaning. So we tend to kind of stay away from that a little bit. But I believe in the elect. I believe in uh, predestination. I believe in a whole lot of those things, but I believe in a scriptural way. Okay, now let's notice a few things. There is a usage... For the word predestination, it's found translated in three different ways in the King James Version of the Bible. Now, it means to limit in advance. Okay? Predetermine. Determine beforehand to ordain or to predestinate. It is used as the word predestinated in Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 11. It is used as the word ordained in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, and in Acts 4, 28, determined before. So we have those three uses of the word, uh, for, of the Greek word wherein we get our word predestinate, uh, used three times. Now, the word foreordained is used in the place of that each time in the American Standard Version. Now, I don't use the American Standard Version. And I'm not sure what the King, New King James uses, but uh, uh, the, it's used foreordained every time in the American Standard. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about predestination in a scriptural sense. Okay? God definitely has predestinated people to salvation. He has definitely predestinated people to damnation, but He has done it in uh, a way that is uh, absolutely a just and a fair manner. 
Now, how does that mean? If, if He predestinated someone to salvation other to damnation, how can that be fair? Well, if we look at it from the, the uh, denominational standpoint, it can't be fair. He can't be a just God. But let's notice that God, in His eternal wisdom, prior to the foundation of the world, He had in mind, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, the eternal purpose of God was the church, right? It was. It came about and presented itself in the form of Jesus Christ. Notice Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what, what are we talking about? Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's begin with verse 8. Ephesians 3 verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, in this, uh, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul is uh, showing his appreciation for God allowing him to be uh, the preacher to uh, the Gentiles, so to speak, right? He's, he's the preacher to the Gentiles. He's saying, I appreciate the grace of God in allowing me to do that to teach the unsearchable uh, truths about Christ, right? What, exactly what does that mean? Well, there's no other way to find out anything we need to know about Jesus Christ except through God Himself, through special revelation, right? We can't search the world over we can, and find out what we need to find out about Jesus if God has not specially revealed that to uh, that information to us in the form of the written word. Now, this is special revelation, right? Um, general revelation would be we look around and we see the moon, the stars, the trees. Uh, we know that can't just happen. Something had to create those things, right? So then he goes on and he says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So let's understand about this mystery. When does something cease to be a mystery? When it's revealed, right? So from the beginning, it was a mystery. You know, Peter talks about the angels even looking in, wanting to understand. They didn't understand, right? But the prophets of old, when they preached, they didn't fully understand what they were preaching. They knew that in some way God was going to allow this to unfold, but they didn't know exactly in what way. And so when Christ came and Paul began to preach these unsearchable riches, then the mystery went away. Now there is no mystery. We can all understand. Verse 10, "...to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known," mystery's gone, "...by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose of God." that He purposed in Jesus Christ. So, God has presented everything He wants us to know through the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came and established the church. And, when we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we see that there is a... Uh, a correlation, uh, or Peter, or excuse me, Paul uses as an example the husband-wife relationship uh, as the uh, 
church has a relationship with Jesus. We understand that the church with whom Jesus has a relationship is His body, Colossians 1 verse 18. The church and the body are the same things. And so when we back up in Ephesians and we look at 1 verse 3, we see that all spiritual blessings are found inside of Jesus Christ. And when I do a Bible study with, uh, with someone, I, I, I always ask, how, what, how many blessings are outside of Jesus? Well, they're none, right? Because all blessings are inside of Jesus. You can't get much aller than all, right? That pretty well uh, takes care of everything. So we understand that if all our blessings are in Jesus Christ... In Him, and we understand that we get into Him through obedience to the gospel, the final step being baptism, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. We're baptized into Christ. We become a part of His body, which is the church. We have all spiritual blessings in that body. We are saved. Then we are predestined to salvation if we're in that body. Right? Now that, that, now that makes sense when we look at it from that standpoint, there is such a thing as predestination in that God said anyone who becomes a member of this body will be saved and remains faithful, right? And so we do have this idea or this doctrine of predestination taught, but it is so different from the denominational view of God chooses Laman to be saved, He chooses Rick to be lost, he chooses someone else to be saved. You know, that arbitrary choosing for someone to be lost or saved is absolutely contrary to any of the, the scriptural teachings that we find in the Bible. Any comments? Sure it does. Yeah. That's a good question. We're going to notice that in limited atonement. This is a snowball effect. Yeah, according to the promise given to Abraham. And of course, when we. Well, and, and I think you're right. When we look at this idea of. Excuse me. When we look at this idea of the promise of Abraham, now what, what is that? Well, when we go back to Genesis chapter 11 and 12, uh, the promise is simply this. Through Abraham, all the world would have the opportunity to be saved. Right now, we've got to remember, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Okay, uh, The Jews are not God's chosen people today. They were for a period of about 1,500 years. Okay, But for a period of 2,500 years, God's chosen people were those who simply were obedient to Him and they were uh, His message was sent by the head of the, of the home, right? the head of the clan, the, the patriarch. And so that's what Paul's talking about when we go back to... And let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to notice that 
verse 26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we have to understand who's he writing the letter to, right? Well, when we go to Galatians chapter 1, we see that it, the, the, the letter is being written to the church in Galatia, right? The Lord's body, the people who have obeyed the gospel, those who have taken advantage of that promise given to Abraham, okay? So he's saying, you Christians, for ye, for ye, the church, the church of Christ in Galatia, you're all the children of God by faith, right? Why? Because faith allowed me and allowed you and allowed them to be obedient to His commandments. And then he says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. See, now we go back. We're going back to this promise of Abraham, right? Not Jews or Greeks. We're just one people. And that one people, uh, the idea of one people being God's people, goes back to Genesis chapters 11 and 12, right? And, and on, on through. On through. And, and thankfully for that, we don't have to worry about being a Jew because all of us in here, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? In fact, I'll just tell you, everybody in the world would be in trouble because there's not a person in the world can prove they're a Jew. And a person alive today and haven't been since A.D. 70 that could prove they were a Jew. Because the destruction of the temple annihilated the genealogy. No, the, the, uh, the Jewish religion, though it was done away with at, on the day of Pentecost, the church was instituted, it was effectively completely annihilated in A.D. 70 because no one can tell who, what tribe they're from. Okay, Only a, a priest can come from the tribe of Levi. No one knows. So it has been impossible for 2,000 years to practice the Jewish religion according to what the Old Testament says. And we're glad because he says we're neither Jew nor Greek, we're neither bond nor free, it doesn't matter what station in life, we're all one in Christ Jesus. How? Well, we go back up to 27, we're baptized into Him, and if we're in Christ, then we are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise, heirs according to that promise that all the world can be saved. doesn't make any difference if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile, if you're a slave, if you're not. That, see, that's a promise, and I agree. I think that when we understand that we can have that promise, that absolutely destroys this idea of predestination. Absolutely destroys it. And um, I didn't mean to cut Bobby off, but he asked a great question that we're going to notice here in just a few minutes. And I'm glad you asked that. Because when we talk about Limited atonement, that answers that question as far as their doctrine is concerned. Well, why, why go preach to anybody, right? We're wasting our time. But anyway, keep that in mind. We're going to, we're going to get that. Good comments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
predestination, ordained beforehand. Right? I think that's exactly right. When uh, I guess John 3.16 may be the most well-known verse in the Bible. That or judge not that you be not judged. I know uh, uh, Brother J.C. Uh, had a class on that a few Wednesdays back, you know, about unrighteous judgment, righteous judgment. But either either judge not that you be not judged or John 3.16. But now, if you'll notice, I have a very close friend of mine I love dearly. He always misquotes that verse to me. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him uh, uh, will not perish. Will not perish. That's not what it says, is it? We heard Brother Ron there, should not perish. You shouldn't perish, but shouldn't means that you might. You could. It's possible. And so... uh, when we look at the construction of this sentence and this word believeth, one of the things that I like about the King James Version, I like the New King James, and I tried at one time to uh, switch over to the New King James, but all my memory work, what little bit I've got is in the King James, and so it was too much of a task. But what I do like about the King James is when you look at verbs in the King James, and you see a word that has that old English ending on it, E-T-H-S, believeth, almost all of the time, it indicates a continuous action. A continuous action, right? He that, and we might be able to say it this way, he that believes and keeps on believing should not perish. Because you know what could happen? We can stop believing, can't we? We can stop. Demas stopped, didn't he? Demas stopped. And so... uh when we look at the idea of uh, predestination, he that believes and keeps on believing is predestined, right? We're elected. We can choose to be elected. You know, we've got an election coming up. How do you, how do you operate within an electoral system? A, a way when you, when you, when you elect someone, you cast votes, right? You cast ballots. You make a choice in other words, right? We choose one or the other or, one out of the 25 that's running or whatever. It was so funny. I grew up in Fentress County of Tennessee and they never had a primary. It was just a straight runoff. Every time they had an election, we had a fellow that ran for, uh, I think it was uh, circuit court clerk. Well, he, he retired off of that job. No one liked him. No one wanted him in there, but he'd get about 25% of the vote every single time because there were 30 people running. And he'd win on that, okay? But when we cast a vote, and that's what we do when we become member of the elect, right? We choose to be that. And then we enter into that group that is predestined. The body that God said, I'm going to save, that He purposed through Jesus Christ. We see it in Ephesians chapter 3. We look at it in John 3.16, Galatians 3.26, all the way through 29. It talks about a predestined group but we have to choose to be in that group. Now, we choose not to be in it. Okay? It's just like in John chapter 10. Let's go over there and look. Let's look. uh, Let's begin with verse 25.
Jesus is answering a question. Uh, they're wanting to know if He's the Christ. He said, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, we're going to look at this verse in a little greater detail over on pre, uh, uh, perseverance of the saints, uh, or once saved, always saved. But that's what this is one of the verses they'll use here too. You are predestined to salvation. There's not a thing in the world anyone can do about it, according to John ten twenty eight. Well, let's look at that verse a little closer. What's he saying? He said, okay, my sheep obey me. They hear my, my voice. They know me. I know them. And no one can take them out of my safety or my power. Okay? Well, that's a very similar statement that, uh, in, a, in a shorter words that uh, Paul made in Romans chapter 8, right? Or excuse me, not Romans chapter 8. Uh, No, yeah, that's right. Romans chapter 8. Uh, I preached a sermon on it a couple Sundays ago, right? Uh, what shall we say then to these things? Beginning with verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? He spared not His own Son, but He delivered Him up for us. And how shall He not with Him all freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? He goes on He says, Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nature? He goes on and on and on, right? That's exactly what Christ's saying in John 10, 28. He says, no one can take them from my safety. No one can make them unsaved once I save them. Once they do the things I've asked them to do, once they have become part of the elect, part of those who are predestined, that they have become a part of that body, that body is what's going to be saved. And if they choose to be a part of that body, who can pluck them out of my hand? He didn't say that they can refuse or they can uh, willingly leave my hand. He said they, he didn't say that they couldn't willingly leave his protection, right? We can. We can. We can choose to be unfaithful if we want to. God's not going to make us be faithful. He has laid out the plan. He's told us, He said, if you want to be saved, you can be saved. If you want to be a part of the predestinated uh, group to go to heaven, you can be. Right? But if you choose not to be, well, that's your choice also. And we, and we see that. We go to Romans chapter 1. And we see how the, the Gentiles had uh, committed all these heinous acts, and a lot of them in the name of religion. And finally... God said, well, I'll just turn them over to their lusts. I'll let them do what they want to do. God's patience will run out. So they chose to leave God. We can leave God if we choose to. You know, uh, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and, you know, there, there's, there's parts of the job of, that any evangelist does, and not just evangelists, but members, any member of the church. We're all evangelists, right? And there are parts of each other's lives that's very sad for us, right? We, we lose loved ones or 
things happen in this life. And, but I can't tell you I've, how many people I've talked to over the years and they are so distraught, and, and especially if they happen to lose a child or something. you know. And I understand that. I understand that. Uh, not from personal experience. I don't know how people how they actually can can live through that. I, my heart just goes out to them. But I've, countless times I've, I've heard them ask the question, or they've asked me, where was God when I lost this? Or where was God when this happened? You know, and it breaks my heart, and I know it breaks your heart. But the truth of the matter is, and and, and you have to explain it in the most loving way that you can, the easiest way you can, but just because we're in a class setting, God was in the exact same place He was when He lost His Son. Right? Same place. With a broken heart. He had a broken heart then. He has a broken heart when we hurt. Right? We look in John chapter 11, and uh, you know, when I was in school, we uh, answered roll in each class we had with a memory verse. So when I was doing, uh, when we were in... Uh, the, the life of Christ and happened to be in John. Brother Garland Elkins did allow us to use Jesus sweat, but we can only use it one time. Couldn't use it over and over. But when we look at that verse, Jesus wept, what's the context behind that? Why did Jesus weep? He knew that He was going to bring Lazarus back to life. Why was He so sad? He was heartbroken because of the the people there were heartbroken. God cares. He cares, right? And so he cares so much that he did, John 3:16, give his only begotten son, allowed that to happen. So we could be a part of this group that is predestined to get to heaven. There is going to be a group get to heaven. They have been predestined from the beginning of time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we see it in Revelation. Absolutely, and, and Ron makes a great point there. When we look in Hebrews 5, and we look in John 3, and we, and we look in, in Galatians 3, and we look in all these other verses, the, the individual has to do certain things in an individual way to become a part of the collective group. Okay, We are the people that are going to be saved are within a body of people, okay? But we're not saved collectively. We, through steps that we take uh, because of our personal faith, brought about by the gospel system of faith, we do certain things to become a part of that body. We're saved individually, but as we're saved individually, Acts 2.47, we are added to this collective body that is going to be saved That's the body going to be saved. God did not choose any individuals to be saved. He chose a body of people. Now we can be saved 
if we do those things necessary, that's the predestination. The predestination of His body being saved. Anyone has the opportunity to be saved, right? And so, and, and Ron's right. We see in Revelation, and John saw, uh, talking about Christ offering up the, uh, the uh, body, unspotted, without blemish, perfect to God, right? And uh, we see that in other, a lot of other places. That's a good point. Absolutely. That's, that may be one of my most favorite verses in the Bible because you get a hard question and you don't know and I say, look, Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation. I don't really know. I'm just joking about that. I, no, I'm not joking about not knowing. But uh, uh, that's right. We, have to, we can't be saved. Uh, because we identify with a group of people doesn't mean we're saved, right? We may have done the necessary things to enter into the body of Christ. But then we may have stopped doing those things, right? We may have stopped that continuous action. He that believeth and keeps on believing. We may have stopped doing that, right? We may, and no one may even know it, right? Only I know for sure, between me and God, that if I am being faithful, right? That's only two people that know for sure. God and myself, if I'm being faithful. 100%. And so, that's why we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I have to know. You know, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Know you not, whether you be in the faith. And because we're the only ones that know, right? And so, the idea of predestination is absolutely scriptural. Absolutely scriptural. But it's a body of people that are being saved. The body is predestined. The church is predestined to be saved. And as individuals, we have to make a choice whether to be a part of it. First John. You, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, and we'll close on this and we'll pick up here next time uh, with this idea of predestination. And we're going to look at what we're going to do next time. We're going to look at the verses they use, uh, Calvinists use to support this doctrine. And we're going to, uh, and we need to understand what verses they use. We need to, we need to know these verses. And we need to also look at them with an open mind. I mean, you know, there may be something valid in some of these arguments, but, you know, I haven't found one yet, but we might find it as we continue to study. But let's close on this. The idea that if, if is throughout the New Testament. Okay? Uh, Preston is absolutely right. God did not create a bunch of robots. He created offspring because He wanted someone to love Him because they wanted to love Him. Not because He could have made us love Him, but that's not what He wanted. 
He, you know, when we, when we look at our children on earth, we want our children to love us because they want to love us, right? Not because we give them a place to live, not because we can buy them clothes or, uh, you know, let them eat popcorn whenever they want to and stuff like that. We want them to love us because they want to, and God is no different. You know, we, we got that, uh, that mindset because that's the mindset He has, you know. All right, well, uh, thank you so much. We'll pick up here next time.